0: Hello and welcome to Uncovered World, the show where each week we explore issues in regions around the world not normally covered by the Western mainstream media. This week we're off to the Caucasus region and we will be exploring political issues related to Turkey and Armenia. (music) thought bubble turkey and armenia are two countries with a troubled history concerning the other stemming from the armenian genocide in 1915. turkey continues to deny that a genocide took place and this issue underpins much of the tension between the two countries which continues to exist to this day however tensions between the two countries also exist due to other factors such as border disputes and the karabakh conflict between armenia and azerbaijan over disputed territory These factors have led to Armenia becoming increasingly isolated in a region devoid of allies. The future of relations between these two countries becomes increasingly difficult to predict in light of Turkey's President Erdogan's increasingly authoritarian turn and the Armenian revolution of April and May 2018. Our first interviewee this week is William Hale, who is an emeritus professor at SOAS, having retired as professor of politics with special reference to Turkey in 2006. Before joining the department in 1989, he was a lecturer, then a senior lecturer in politics of the Middle East at the Department of Politics at the University of Durham. Since retiring from SOAS, he has served as visiting professor in the faculty of arts and social sciences at sabansi university in istanbul he's also uh, had held positions in the department of politics at the university of otago in new zealand and at the department of international relations in Kos, university of istanbul his main interests are the modern politics and the international relations of turkey
1: a subject which uh unt- we all came to a rather gloomy conclusion, mm-hmm. uh, which was that there was really very, very little chance in the near future of uh, reconciliation between Turkey and Armenia and we looked at both the domestic political issues involved here, we looked at the external political issues here and they all seemed to reinforce uh, that conclusion, which is extremely sad. I think however, the, the one thing that we can be reasonably uh, confident is that there will not actually be an open war between uh, Turkey and Armenia because that would mean an open war between Turkey and Russia and that is something that neither the Turks or the Russians I think uh, would want to take on so that there's a sort of maneuvering within what is in effect a frozen conflict But the reasons for its being frozen are as much to do with the domestic politics of the two countries as they are to do with the international situation.
2: Uh Mm. And um, do you see a a prospect, or if not on that front, but uh, the idea of the frozen conflict in Nagorno-Karabakh becoming unfrozen?
1: I just don't know. I mean, there are plenty of people who would like to uh, unfreeze the Nagorno-Karabakh question. Uh, and there are any number of ways of doing it, Uh, uh, you know, restore the autonomy of Nagorno-Karabakh and establish a corridor between Nagorno-Karabakh, which is Armenian territory, between Nagorno-Karabakh and the Republic of Armenia. Um, You know, there are a whole whole number of different issues, or maybe some sort of territorial uh, swap. This was suggested years and years ago by Bilent Egevich, former uh, Prime Minister of Turkey, in which uh, Nagorno-Karabakh would become part of Azerbaijan and then the enclave of Nachichivan would revert to Armenia and the populations of the two areas would be exchanged. So the Armenians from Nagorno-Karabakh would be settled in Nachichivan and the uh, um, Turks from Nachichivan would be settled in Nagorno-Karabakh, in fact, in Azerbaijan. So, you know, there are all sorts of of different... uh, solutions to this Uh, but the trouble is uh, there is no domestic pressure there is insufficient domestic pressure on either side uh, to reach a conclusion of this thing I I think if it was simply between Turkey and Armenia then yes the the, the issue could be settled but it isn't it's an issue between uh, Armenia and Azerbaijan which is a very real issue
2: Do you think that the sort of strong Turkish interest in the conflict stems from a sort of Turk solidarity between the two?
1: Partly that, but Mm -hmm. also partly because uh, Azerbaijan is a powerful economic actor. Uh, It has pipelines for both uh, oil and natural gas running into Turkey. Uh, The Azeri state oil company, Sokar, is a major investor in Turkey. It owns one of the biggest petrochemical plants and uh, oil refineries at ali near Izmir. It is a very important economic actor in Turkey, whereas, Azerbaijan, whereas Armenia is not an economic <laughs> actor in Turkey at all, uh, so you know the balance of economic power is very heavily on the on the Azeri side, quite apart from the ethnic aspect i think. The ethnic aspect, aspect affects people on the right wing in Turkey, but it doesn't, it's not so important for the rest of the population. But the economic issue is very important because if relations with Azerbaijan broke down from the Turkish point of view, their natural gas supplies, their oil supplies, all sorts of things would be seriously affected. Mm-hmm.
2: And um, so talking about the um, geopolitical importance of that corridor through the Caucasus, yeah. perhaps one of the biggest phenomenon we've seen in recent yeah. years is this uh, karls baku right. railway. Um, does that represent... I mean, it is intending to link up, I believe, with the China's Belt and Road Initiative. Well, does this represent it, yes. um, an increase in Chinese influence in the region? Do you feel like this could have an impact in the near future?
1: It could do, yes. I mean, of course, it's not altogether straightforward because, unfortunately, the Turkish and... Uh, ex-Russian uh, railway systems operate on different gauges mm. so that they have a problem at the border. They can overcome this problem, but, it, but it's, a technical, it's a technical problem. Uh, um, uh, so this is certainly the Turkish aim to develop this, this linkage. But um, uh, this doesn't really fundamentally alter the position we regard with to Turkey and Armenia. That, that hinges on the Nagorno-Karabakh question, it depends on the genocide question and so on. Mm.
2: And, um, do you feel like um, sort of if um, Turkey does, we've heard lots about Turkey sort of shifting more into a Russian camp? in terms yes. of um, rapprochement over Syria, for example, uh, and common tension with the European Union, with the United States. Exactly. Does that risk leaving Armenia isolated, or does, could it in fact act as impetus I for the solving don't the conflict? I think so, no.
1: I think, mm-hmm. I think that the, uh, both sides sort of separate out the Armenia issue from the uh, Syria issue. In other words, mm-hmm. Turkey and Russia agree to c- cooperate to some extent over Syria. But even over Syria, there are still very wide differences between the two. The Turks are still adamantly and against the reassertion of Bashar al-Assad as president of Syria. They don't want to see the Ba'athist regime in Syria re-established over the whole country. They're strongly opposed to that. Whereas, of course, the Russian position is that they support uh, the Ba'athists and the Assad Assad regime, because the trouble is if they didn't support Bashad, then the rest of their p- whole position in mm-hmm. in Syria would simply unravel uh, so um so there is a wide wide there is a wide gap even over the Syrian issue. they simply agree to oppose the American alliance with the Uh, Kurdish forces of the YPG the People's Protection Force which is an extension of the PKK which is in turn a terrorist organization responsible for a large number of innocent deaths in Turkey itself
2: and do you think that um, the war has been successful in gaining support for Erdogan or is there a risk that war war fatigue um,
1: sets in you mean over
2: Syria Uh, over Syria yes
1: yes I really don't know. Um, I think on the whole, when the Turkish troops moved into Afrin, there was a general um, support for that from across the, the political spectrum in Turkey because when, when there is actually military action, people tend to rally behind their soldiers. So there's a reluctance to, to come out against it. I, I think the real problem is going to arise. Eventually, what happens when... Bashar al-Assad demands the return first of all of Idlib and then of Afrin and the triangle between Jarablus and Afrin uh, to Syria which he may very well do uh, up till now the uh, Russians have backed off supporting uh, Assad over this issue but um, uh, there could come a time when they uh, decide to change tack on that and then Turkey is going to find itself in a dangerous situation where it finds itself opposed to Russia, uh, uh, Russian military over Syria. It's not going to happen soon, but it's, it's a dangerous threat over the horizon all the time.
0: That was William Hale. And our next interview now will be with Thomas Duval, Emeritus Professor at the Carnegie Center. Um, Tom Tom Deval is a senior fellow with Carnegie Europe, specialising in Eastern Europe and the Caucasus region. He is the author of numerous publications about the region, including his latest book, Great Catastrophe, Armenians and Turks in the Shadow of Genocide. Duval has worked extensively as a journalist and writer in the Caucasus and Black Sea region and in Russia. From 1993 to 1997, he worked in Moscow for the Moscow Times, the Times of London and The Economist, specialising in Russian politics and the situation in Chechnya. He has also worked with BBC and for the Institute of War and Peace Reporting, a London-based NGO.
2: It's a bit Eurocentric but the question that's on everyone's lips is does the um, election of Pashinyan as Armenian president represent uh, a new push for European integration or is that a misguided assumption?
3: Um, I think um, Pashinyan's victory in Armenia is mainly about Armenian domestic issues, it's about fighting corruption, it's about fighting this kind of uh, oligarchic system in Armenia where a few individuals have captured the economy um, and the public feels very left behind. Um, it's about uh, changing a, an economic model um, but Pashinyan has to be very careful and he's um, he, both he and Moscow have um, learned a script in which both um, Pashinyan and, and Moscow uh, are saying this is not about geopolitics um, and, and the Russians have indeed played it very cool and they've said um, that they respect the Armenians' decision and Pashinyan has said um, this is not against Russia or Russia remains our strategic ally. And indeed, um, I think one of the successes of the street movement was that Pashinyan explicitly um, forbade uh, anti-Russian slogans and pro-EU flags. I think in that sense, I think both sides, Moscow and Pashinyan, learned the lessons of, uh, of the Maidan Um, Having said that, of course, um, Pashinyan's agenda is to try and um, to defeat this oligarchic system and this oligarchic system is very closely linked with Russia, which owns most of the monopolies in Armenia like the railways, the um, the gas system, the nuclear power plant, etc. But I think he will um, try and move this agenda along fairly quietly he will probably try and make his move, first of all, against the kind of domestic oligarchs before he makes a move against Russian control and the Eurasian Economic Union. So I think um, clearly th- this does mean a, an, a kind of pro-European government in Yerevan, um, but on the surface we're going to see the same um, declarations of loyalty uh, to Moscow as before.
2: Just be interested in sort of your thoughts on on the role of um, Georgia and all of this in terms of perhaps providing um, a model, um, not necessarily a perfect one, of um, almost escaping that Russian influence, but also perhaps a warning of uh, of what can occur.
3: Um, Yeah, there are clear differences, obviously, between Armenia and Georgia. Georgia has had um, historically many more problems with, Russia than Armenia has, including of course uh, Russia's basically de facto annexation of Abkhazia uh, and South Ossetia, and therefore there's a kind of ongoing uh, Georgian-Russian conflict. But um, obviously the last time a kind of peaceful revolution of this kind happened in the Caucasus was in Georgia, the Rose Revolution of 2003. Um, And I think there are sort of both positive and negative lessons from that. Revolution, the positive lessons is that um, Saakashvili did indeed manage to kind of change uh, a corrupt order. He had some impressive wins in the fight against corruption, and and a lot of the kind of criminalized and corrupt people who were running Georgia were either kind of put in jail or left the country. Uh, Having said that, I think um, it was also a kind of problematic legacy. Because because Saakashvili also managed to antagonise Russia, which was um, ended up with in war with Russia in 2008, and also um, basically he kind of re- ultimately replaced one one-party system with another because his United National Movement uh, ended up being a kind of one-party system in Georgia and and governing in a very kind of authoritarian manner. So I think there are some. Uh, lessons there for Pashinyan, and I think, hopefully, so far he's understood them. stood it when he says this isn't about me; this is about f- the people. That hopefully he's 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 not hoping to kind of put himself uh, at the head of a new one-party system. And, um,
2: we've seen um, the um, with the. Uh, launching of the um, baku tbilisi kars railway um, and with sort of Turkish moves away from Armenia or, or the failure of detente, um, that Armenia is perhaps becoming more isolated in the region bar perhaps its links to Russia. Is there a risk, do you feel like this could have an impact on um, Bashinyan's attempts to attract investment, attempts to change the economic system and, and what sort of moves do you think he should make to
3: um, guarantee uh, an open economic climate? Um, Armenia basically has been isolated since the early 90s because of the Karabakh conflict and the closure of the border with um, Turkey and Azerbaijan, the closure of the railways, which basically means Armenia is reliant for its trade um, either on Iran uh, or on Georgia and basically the port of Batumi for imports and, and, and exports. Um, I think they are doing something to fix that. So There's a new um, road and rail link to Iran being built although um, the new kind of uh, threat of new sanctions against Iran of course from the US may, may make that um, more difficult than it was um, a couple of months ago. Um, but um, I think you know the, the fundamental problems remain and I think the, the opening of the Baku-Tbilisi cars railway kind of underlines that, that Armenia has been basically bypassed in its own region. Um, what can Armenia do about them? What do do about that? Well, I think it's they're they're they're, they're sort of trying to do clever things. Um, certainly, breaking some of the monopolies will help. There's also quite a thriving IT sector in Yerevan, so you know, which is a kind of logical response to what you do with closed borders. You you kind of um, create a kind of economic sector which is borderless, which is IT. So there are things that that can be done within. The context of, of closed borders and isolation. Um, so I think, you know, that um, plenty that can be done um, in the short to medium term. But in the long term, I, I, I think the issue remains that Armenia can only develop so far without resolving its conflicts with uh, Azerbaijan and Turkey and opening its closed borders.
2: And um, finally, just one last question. You've spoken about um, Iran and the increasing conflict there. Trump. Uh, Yesterday, pulled out of the uh, Iran deal. There's an increasing, perhaps, risk of escalation between the US and Israel on one side and Iran on the other. Is there a risk that Armenia and the broader Caucasus region, geographically positioned kind of broadly in the middle of this, gets mixed up in it, or, or is
3: that pessimistic? I don't think Armenia or indeed Azerbaijan, which also borders Iran, will get mixed up in this. I think. Obviously if there's a complete meltdown in Iran then that could have certain knock-on effects but more on Azerbaijan which has a large Azerbaijani population in Iran than on Armenia. Um, I think think the main effects will be economic if if there's there's an economic downturn in Iran as a result of a new round of US sanctions which frightens off international investment from Iran. Um, That will be negative for um, the Caucasus which was, has been hoping that Iran will open up uh, to them, and clearly for Arme- you know, Armenia is, is clearly hoping that Iran will develop uh, as a state and, and it, it will be its kind of alternative route to the world. That that obviously is much more in question because of uh, what Trump's just done.
2: That was Thomas DeWall. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for, for today. But Uncovered World will be back after the summer break. We'll be continuing our focus on regions and issues that go uncovered in the media here in the West and broadening our scope. With episodes planned on the Middle East, the Maghreb and Central and Eastern Africa as the Congo crisis intensifies, we'll be bring, bringing you the latest interviews with academics and student experts. But for now, it's goodbye from me and Raphael. We'd like to thank all our listeners to this first season of Uncovered World and be, we'll be back soon with season two. Goodbye.